time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome, guys. Jay, how you doing? I'm good, GB. Yourself? I'm doing well. Michael? I am, uh, you know, I'm cruising along. That's good. You know, I, w- I went for a, a run uh, right before our session, and it's pretty darn hot, and I uh, yeah. feel like I'm just overheating. Yeah. I, I uh, Yesterday, I bicycled up Coldwater Canyon, which is, for those of you not in L.A., it's a canyon road. It's kind of a major... That's a dangerous... It's a major sort of canyon road that's not meant for all the traffic it has. It gets you from the valley to Beverly Hills, and I forgot my water. Oop. Yeah. That's not and good. I realized that halfway up, and I'm like, I'm not turning around. And when I got to the top, I had to stop. I had to, like, I had to take a five-minute break. Well, at the top, because I do a lot of bike riding, and uh, I strategically place in my mind where there's water stops and spigots. And at the top cold water, there's tree people, and they have mm. water fountains and spigots. God. Good point. Damn, GB, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> that would have been really smart. <laughs> All I could think about is how I passed Ralph's, and I was like, I'm not going back there. That would have been yeah, smart. There you go. And yeah. then I was right you're there. trained to think that the only way you can get water is buy it. Yeah. Or be you back in my it house. Doesn't, it doesn't occur to you that there's actually a place that might actually have a drinking fountain or I mean, yeah. you know, and then, free water. You know what it is? I was so not in my thinking mode at that moment. You're right. That was really the, dumb the, of me. The, the other thing, if you ever forget about tree people... Uh, right at the top of Tree People, if you make a right, not getting on Mulholland. Franklin Canyon. Franklin Canyon. Yeah. And you drop right down, and there are spigots. Yeah, but that's all the way down. I didn't want to go all the way down. Yeah, that's oh, a little okay. bit of a schlep. Anyway, that. it's warm out here, and uh, yeah. So. That's the deal. Yeah. That's yeah. L.A. in the yeah. summer. Yeah. yeah. And and Michael, you, you had a family outing to see The Shining? Is that what you did? <laughs> no, 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 no. That was me by myself, just, uh, you know, having a lazy Saturday afternoon channel flipping and there was Jack Nicholson and Audrey Hepburn and... Uh, Audrey Hepburn, know. no. No, not Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> Shelley Long. Shelley. No, it's... She- Shelley, not Shelley Long. Shelley Duvall. Sorry. Duvall. Yeah, that yeah. would have been an odd pairing. I don't know why I said Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> Shelley Duvall. That, that brings uh, back a uh, traumatic experience because I remember when I was 13, uh, my dad said, hey, let's go to the movies. There's this movie called The Shining. And I'm like, is that a scary movie? He's like, <laughs> oh, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. And I had nightmares. I'll never forget that. Well, you know what's funny? That's is a good topic. I've, like I've, mistakes our parents made. Yeah, right. <laughs> I well, here's the thing. I've I've for some reason, whenever I sort of channel flip, I frequently, I don't know why, land on that movie and it's always the last like 15 minutes. And I'll just kind of watch it for a little bit and then I'll move on. But I haven't seen it from the beginning for a long, yeah. long time. And so yesterday it was on from the beginning, and I completely forgot what the shining was. Yeah. Do you remember what it is? Do you know what the shining actually is? What that word means in oh. the movie. In the story, it's Scatman Crothers, you know, the mm-hmm. the, Maintenance the black guy. guy. Yeah, he got he, axed. At the end, right. Spoiler. But he gives <laughs> he gives this he has this little sit down with the boy, with Danny, the little boy. And while because while he's showing Shelley Duvall, I don't know why I said Audrey Hepburn, when he while he's showing Shelley Duvall around the kitchen, there's this moment while he's talking to her that all of a sudden he, there's this funny music comes on and he, you can see that this isn't really happening in real time. He turns to Danny and he said, 
hey, do you want some ice cream? But he's actually talking to Shelly Duvall when he says that. And the boy kind of freaks out for a second. Like, how is he talking to me and talking to my mom at the same time? How am I able to hear him? But the boy isn't. Actually, he's not that freaked out. Like, it's as if the boy knows that this is all normal. Mm. So when they have a private sit down, he says, you could hear me talking to you before, couldn't you? And he said, you know what that's called? That's called The Shining. My grandmother used to talk to me without moving her lips all the time. And we called it The Shining. And this hotel can sometimes talk to you. And and, and I always say that the hotel can talk to you like that. And it's The Shining. And it's like certain people are able to do this. And you're one of them. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I never remembered that yeah. that's what that's the derivation of I haven't the, seen that movie all the way through in a long time isn't that funny though it's like you hear that it's such an iconic right. title The Shining but probably if you asked people on the street have you ever heard of The Shining of course you know the Stephen King movie with Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall if you ask them what is The Shining actually mean well some people say Audrey Hepburn <laughs> that's right. right no one would remember because I certainly did <laughs> well Stephen King famously really did not like the Kubrick adaptation. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, he really... I had no idea. Completely dis... Because it, it strays from the book. And in fact, they did uh, a TV movie version of The Shining. Oh, I didn't know that. In the last 10 years or okay. so, that okay. was far more faithful to the book. Wow. I never read the book. Well, question for you. What what channel or what service did you watch it on? I don't know. It was like, you know, one of the cable channels. So know. so did was it... Stars with, or so HBO. So with or commercials or without commercials? Without, without. Okay. Yeah. That never comes up on my TV. I've, it's always like Shawshank Redemption, you know, and <laughs> oh, that's that's one of my favorite movies. And, and The Martian, well, I think yeah, that's I think always yeah. I know I think they're it's great. It's rated as the most favorite movies of yeah. like on the internet. It's like if you go to or IMDb, Shawshank, it's always number one, or like the American Film Institute, yeah, or, AFI, yeah, <clears throat> it's always number one. Yeah. Well, Citizen Kane is that always number one? Yeah, okay, deservedly so. Yes, right. right. holds up. Here we go. All right. So good stuff. Summer movies. So last week we were talking about. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears right yeah. now. Um, we were we were talking about prostate cancer. Uh, we were talking about PSA. PSA tests. Yeah. And and I thought I would I would jump into that again a little bit with a with a little with a story that has all kinds of brings up all kinds of issues, but it has a little bit of uh, relationship to last week's talk. And here's here's the story. Um, I you know let me preface by saying that there is a little bit of a I guess call it a controversy going on in the hospital I'm at where most hospitals for specialists have something called a call panel. And what that means is that when the emergency room has somebody come in and they've got a specific issue related to, say, cardiology or gastroenterology or whatever, the emergency room doctor has a list of, uh, or like has a, has a printout of like who from which specialty service is actually on call at this moment that I can reach out to. So they don't have to scramble, okay? But um, what's happened is, is that for some reason at this one hospital that I'm at, they, so, oh, what I have to tell you is that they, because in the past they couldn't really rely on anybody being on, like people wouldn't necessarily volunteer to be on this call panel because, you know, sometimes when they would call the person, the patient might not have insurance or they might not be on the plan of the, of, of the doctor. So they would call and they'd say, oh, this person's on such and such health, you know, such and such HMO. And then they would call the doctor and he said, well, I'm not on that plan. 
So then the emergency room doctor would be flustered and have to scramble to figure out who's on this plan, who do I call? And so the solution that the hospitals, most hospitals come up, come up with is they form these call panels and they pay a stipend to you, to the doctor for taking call each day. So even this is people that come into the ER? Because I thought the ER, you're kind of... You're covered. So the ER is not a it's not a multi specialty pra- practice. It's just an ER doctor. Right. So if you walk into the ER, let's just I'm a urologist. So let's say you come into the ER and you have a problem, not a kidney stone, because a kidney stone, the emergency room doctor can just generally put you on pain medication, and if they have to admit you, they can admit you. And, and, and but let's say it's something they need a urologist immediately, right. and 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 so they have to they need somebody immediately. Who are they going to call? How do they know? Right. So and they once can, they call the on-call doctor, now you're dealing with their insurance and who they. Right. I mean, what if that on-call doctor on. yeah. does isn't on the plan of this okay. person in the Got emergency it. room? So they have to scramble and figure it out, and that's a lot for a guy who, or a woman who's the ER physician it's to like scramble to have triage, to do. They've got yeah. yeah, they've got a lot of other things sure. going on. So they've come up with these. Most hospitals have these panels, and they're paid because that that otherwise. You know, who's going to volunteer to say, I will accept the phone call regardless of what the plan is, regardless of if they're on my insurance or not, um, or if they have insurance or not, or if they can pay or not, I will come in and take care of this person. And that's how that system's developed. And most hospitals have that, except that the hospital, this one hospital that I'm at, they, they for some reason, have never managed to put that together for urology, and so it's become hmm. Just a for that specialty? Wait, I, I've got a question. It, they, they say it's because there isn't quite enough of a volume of cases oh. that come in for urology in the emergency room hmm. that require an emergency room uh, uh, evaluation by a urologist to justify this uh, issue. But I mean, just in the last week, it's come up twice. I mean, last weekend, uh, there was a, a young guy who came in with a torsion. We've talked about this where the testicle twisted and it needed to be, somebody needed to be taken to surgery right away. And they couldn't find a urologist to come in to help this person because the person didn't have, I think he didn't have insurance or whatever. And then what happened was the longer it took, it ended up being kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It became more of a legally, uh, sort of a litigious issue where now if a urologist finally came in and it's been four hours, the chances that that testicle could be saved has gone down. And so it's now potentially going to turn into a litigious, you know, like they could file a lawsuit and whoever gets involved is going to be named, including the urologist who might come in after four hours. So then they really couldn't get anybody. You yeah. see, it was, it was, it's a mess. It's a total mess. What were you going to ask, my, my My question, these call panels, are these Monday through Friday or weekends? Every day. So it's every day. 24-7. So, so let's say you, you're a doctor in practice and you've got a full slate of 25 patients, whatever And they call be. you during the day? And they call you during you the have day. To, you have to cancel. You, you cancel your patients yeah. to go to the hospital? Yeah. You have to have your, your front office call those people and say the doctor had a... Um, you know, an emergency, and he will have to postpone your appointment. Wow. It's very rare. Very, very rare. I mean, in my career, maybe that's happened like two times, hmm. it, you know. But anyway, so here, so so with that background, um, we don't have that in urology at this at the hospital I, I, I work at. And, um, but be that as it may, um, you know, you're still sometimes incentivized by simply the fact that these are your colleagues 
and you want to be there for them, you know, whether it's the emergency room doctor or the admitting doctor who takes over from the emergency room when the patient comes into the hospital. Maybe that admitting doctor refers you a lot of patients and they call you and they're like, hey, Dr. Hyman, listen, you know, I, I send you a lot of patients and I had to admit this patient who, you know, is, isn't somebody who you're going to get paid for, but I really need your help. And what am I going to say? No. Right. So that's what happened. Well, what so if you didn't the like background. the guy? The admitting doctor. Yeah, then yeah. Yeah, yeah. it gets sticky. Yeah. You're right. You're I mean, saying, I think that's saying... I think it depends. There are some people with very kind of rough on the edge personalities, and they're like, "Sorry, I'm not on that guy's plan and or that that woman's plan." And I, I I hear you, but I'm not coming in. I'm sorry. And that happens. It's not like they are forced to by law to come in. Yeah. So, anyways, here's the story. The story is: I get a call. It's a 82 year old. A uh, Hispanic gentleman who comes in and he can't urinate, and he also has some blood in his urine. And they cannot normally when that happens, they put a catheter in, they wash out any blood clots, and then you go from there. But they couldn't even get the catheter in because he had uh, such a narrowing in his urethra. The hmm. emergency room staff could not get the catheter in. Wow! Right, that happens, and so. So he got, but he, he wasn't in severe pain. He, he was able to urinate a tiny bit enough so that his bladder would like empty a, you know, like a tablespoon every five minutes and get a little out, yeah. but it was, it's horrible, right? It's yeah. horrible. So they, the, this physician called me and asked me did, if I'd come in and help. And I did. Uh, was he dehydrated? Because wouldn't you stop drinking if you can't they, evacuate your bladder? In his, sometimes, but in his case, he wasn't. He wasn't. So I come in and it's a whole process to get a catheter in somebody like that. And you have to essentially do something called urethral dilation, which means you you can, this may, for people who are a little bit squeamish, this may be a little intense. <laughs> urethral yeah. dilation. This is, this is pretty intense. So I tried to pass catheter and I could see that like going through the opening in the penis about an inch, it stopped. I couldn't push it you, any further. Do you give a sedative to this patient? You give them some pain medication, and you do give them a little Ativan or something to help them I'm relax. just telling you right now, my, my buddy Greg in New York, yeah. he's never going to hear this me mention his name because he's already hit fast forward. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Can never handle this. He's a fan. This is where you're going to get a little bit. Wait. If anybody is squeamish, they should turn this off. Do you, do you have any Ativan for me? <laughs> if need be. <laughs> Um, so urethral if, we, if we have dilation. to do urethral dilation, yes. Right. So fortunately, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. This is where there's kind of a gray area. You could argue, why didn't you take this guy immediately to the operating room and put him out for what I'm about to tell you I did? And the answer is that he had eaten, so he would have to wait eight hours. I mean, this is where you get, it's tricky. You can't take somebody to an operating so, so room wait, wait, so if they've on. eaten, right. because if you put them under anesthesia, when they're being induced to be under anesthesia, they will aspirate all right. the stuff in their stomach into their lungs and they'll possibly die. And this is why that intake questionnaire is so important. Yeah. Right? When so did this you is, last this have is anything like, to this eat is or like drink? Cr critical. You got to be really accurate. Yeah. So um, that's why I just have to... Now, granted, sometimes you, you have to kind of weigh the consequences. Like if I were starting this and the guy was screaming and he couldn't take it, I would have to stop and try to... You know, put my, you know, try to think of an alternative here. 
Um, but he was fine. He actually, you know, some older guys like 83, they tend to tolerate this. You can numb up the urethra with a little gel, which I did. And you put this little wire. It's a soft, floppy tipped wire. So it's not like a wire that would like, you know, if you touched it against your hand, you wouldn't even feel it. It hmm. just flops so the other direction. Like but fishing line. Almost. Yeah. And you yeah. can, but it's, it's solid enough that you can feed it through the urethra. Once you get the wire through, okay, it goes through that little narrow segment. You can now pass a very tiny catheter that's got a little hole in it that goes over that wire. Wow. And that goes through there. And once you get that in, you take that out and you just sequentially go bigger and bigger until you get it big enough to put a regular size catheter. You really are the plumber. That's why we're the plumbers. So I did this. And, um, but I did it enough. Anyways, I, I did this and I got the catheter in and he, and I irrigated. How, how, how long does this take? This took me about 10 minutes. Okay. And then I, and then I have to irrigate the catheter, which is like, basically you take a, a syringe that holds about three ounces of saline of, of fluid. Think of it as sterile water. Is there a nurse in the room? Yes. They're handing stuff to me that I'm asking for. And I'm, I, I push the saline through the catheter and then pull it back out to wash out any clots that are in the bladder. Okay. Because they can block things up. So I do that until it's free of the clots. Okay. And then I connect it to a bag and now he's okay. You know, his bladder's empty. It doesn't start emptying until you connect the bag? No, well, um, do you have it tied off or something? Well, by putting, no, not really. It it is kind of, it's a mess. It is starting to spill out. (laughs) It's like, there's like a spray. No, no, no. It's just, it's just flowing out of the catheter. It's like maybe think of turning on your faucet at, at just beyond a drip, like a slow stream coming out of your faucet, just beyond a drip. That's what it looks like. And I put my thumb over the end of the catheter in between irrigating. Is this like in I, your office or in the hospital? This is at the hospital. bedside in the hospital. Okay. So I'm, in, in, I'm, I'm putting in and out and I'm you know doing this. And again, sometimes just doing that, pushing in and out can be very painful for some people. But in this guy's case, he actually was really fine. He really was. And so um, when I was done, I then connected it to the bag that's next to his, that, I, that we like attached to the side of his bed. And about, I don't know, three quarters of a liter of bloody urine came out of his bladder, okay? Dilute. In other words, it wasn't pure blood. It was like mostly urine, but it looked pretty red, okay? And so um, I had the nurses continue to, because I couldn't, and this is getting too much detail, but the bottom, there's, there's different ways to do this, but they had to hand irrigate this catheter every hour or two, once or twice, because if they didn't, clots would build up and it would all block, block it, it right? Yeah. So they did. And over the next 24 hours, the catheter, the, the output started to clear up. And now it's like kind of light, very light pink, okay, the day later. But here's the deal. Why was he bleeding? Right. And do I need to take him to the operating room after the prescribed eight hours and now put a scope in there and see where the bleeding is coming from? And this is all leading up to the insurance. And, yeah, this and is all how, leading up to that. And how so, we deal with it. Correct. Correct. So in this patient's case, I wasn't, I knew he actually did have, it turns out he had Medi-Cal. Now Medi-Cal is insurance for people who are um, in the poverty level. That's strictly what Medi-Cal is for. 
Um, and um, even though he was 83, I am not sure why he didn't have Medicare because Medicare is the insurance program for people over 65. There are also some other, there's some other exceptions. Everyone over 65. Is eligible for Medicare. Medicare. Yeah. And I'm not sure why. And Medi-Cal and Medicaid are pretty much the same thing. Medi-Cal and Medicaid are the same thing. And it's for people who like make, who are basically that poverty line, I think it's like less than $25,000 a year or something like that. I don't know what the number is, but something like that. But here's the thing. Um, Doctors are pretty loath to sign up with Medi-Cal as a provider because it pays you so little. Like to come in and see a patient in the hospital like I'm doing, as I'm describing to you, the whole thing I might get like $25. Hmm. Wow. So that's a lot of time and a lot of procedure and a lot of stuff that you just heard me do to only get $25. So I don't sign up with Medi-Cal. Okay. Now, you know, and then frankly, not even, there are doctors who work for big organizations like, you know, UCLA, they don't take Medi-Cal either. Hmm. You can't take Medi-Cal to Kaiser. Yeah. Hmm. So these are, these are private companies and that's the way it is, but hospitals are publicly funded. And so they have to accept Medi-Cal. And so in it turns the hospital. What about the doctors in the hospital? Correct. The doctors have their own source of contracting. They are Well, if you were on the call panel, you'd be forced. Correct. If there was a call panel, you're right. Way you to bring would it have back, to. GB. There you go. Way to bring your back. <laughs> so there was no call panel. So I'm doing this. And so my But you're doing this because I'm doing but, this and you're not on a call panel. I'm not on a call because, panel. Because there was a patient in need. There's a patient in need and Dr. Hyman was there. Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it, 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 I was somewhat um, encouraged because the doctor who asked me to do this is somebody who refers to me. I'll be honest with you. I would have pushed back a little bit if it was just a complete, um, you know, like if it was a cold call from the ER and they said, we have this Medi-Cal patient who has this issue, I would say, well, you know, I don't take Medi-Cal. And they'd say, we know, can you come in and help anyway? And it would honestly come down to like, I'll be honest with you. It would come down to like what I'd have to, it's right, opportunity sure. cost. If I had to yeah. cancel out cancel my whole afternoon, afternoon yeah. of patients to see this Medi-Cal patient for free, I'd be pushing back. And I'd say, you know what? I really can't. Right. Maybe not every time, but that time. Right. Yeah, I get right. It. So that's, I'm, I'm just keeping it real here, you know, and yeah. people can criticize. That's what it, this show, you know, you can criticize me. Anyway, um, so I decided to order a CAT scan. Well, you can just wait till after the show and you go there back you go. to your wife. There you go. There you go. Um, I order a CAT scan and it turns, and this is where it gets interesting. So the CAT scan shows that he has um, large lymph nodes in his pelvis. He's got some, you can, they show you some small. Wait, I thought lymph nodes were in the, in, in the neck. Lymph nodes are all over the body. There's some in your armpit. There's some on your neck. Mm. There are, they line the entire inside of your abdomen around your great vessel. So like your aorta and your vena cava. All surrounding them are lymph nodes, and the lymph nodes go along the, these vessels into your pelvis, like your iliac vessels, which are inside the but, inner wall but, of the wh- pelvis. Why does the doctor, when I go, is only checking the lymph nodes in the neck? Because he can't palpate the lymph nodes around your aorta and your vena cava. They're too deep, and he can't palpate the lymph nodes in your pelvis because they're all deep in the pelvis. You can't reach that by palpation. Um, although, theoretically, if you when they're palpating your stomach... Sometimes they might feel a mass, and that mass could be an enlarged lymph node. That might be like lymphoma. Right, but it doesn't, um, 
it, if if one is enlarged, uh, it doesn't mean that the others are correct. Okay, correct. And cancer tends to spread locally to its nearest set of lymph nodes. Okay. So, like and, and prostate and... cancer tends to spread first to the pelvic lymph nodes. Okay, and what does a lymph node do? Lymph nodes have a multitude of functions, but they're really there for as sort of like a like a checkpoint when you are exposed to, say, a, like an antigen, and an antigen might be something from a bacteria, right? So a bacteria enters your skin through a cut in your upper arm, and the bacteria, its first stop is the lymph nodes in your armpit, and those lymph nodes are loaded with immune cells that will then like proliferate, divide, and fight that bacteria. But they also will do that when cancer cells go to the lymph node in the same way. And the body will sort of know that there's something not right about these cancer cells, but it's not able to destroy it because it's your own cell. And so lots, so those cells will sometimes get stuck there. They can't move on. And those cancer cells will then divide there. And the lymph node will just be overgrown with cancer cells. Does that make sense? Scary stuff. Yeah. So let's, he had enlarged lymph yeah. nodes. We're moving on. Large lymph nodes. And, um, and the radiologist read out that his prostate looked very abnormal. And what one should really consider that this guy could have prostate cancer. So at that point, I had them draw a PSA. We talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. What is PSA? And when it goes up, it's it can suggest prostate cancer, although... The numbers are... The numbers, yeah. it's all relative. Well, this guy's PSA was over 400. If you remember, I think we've four. talked about... Right, four was generally... So 400, it's like virtually 100% that this guy has not only prostate cancer, but very advanced, advanced prostate right. cancer. Okay. So now I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to be able to do for this guy? Because even if I managed to get him to the operating room and put a scope into his bladder, and he's got these little prostate tumors growing everywhere, it's, it's, it's a whole thing now. I mean, now he really needs a full workup. He needs bone scans and, cat and, and more extensive evaluation. Was his family there? Well, I'm thinking this before I'd spoken to the family, but yes, his family was there. And so ultimately, I'll tell you what I chose to do with this guy, which, and this was a tough decision because I thought, you know, if I, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's all Band-Aid care right now. I'm not going to definitively be able to like solve this guy's problem on this hospital. And it doesn't mission. go to an oncologist or something at this point? Well, ultimately it should, but it's going to be the same problem. I mean, if he goes to, if, if they refer to the oncologist and the oncologist is not a Medi-Cal providing ecologist... He's also going to just kind of do the bare minimum. He'll say like, okay, yeah, he'll, he'll write a note. He'll write a consultation note, say everything. And he'll say, once this patient is stable enough to be discharged from the hospital, he should be, in fact, discharged and follow up with a Medi-Cal accepting oncologist. Got it. Right? And my- You're, you're essentially saying if you're uninsured, which I'm assuming that's- Or, me, or you're not covered, your insurance is not taken by the doctors right. that you're at in a hospital. And you have a life-threatening disease such as cancer, you're, you're in trouble. Well, there well, are- Don't forget, he was at the hospital for essentially an emergency Correct. situation. Correct. So it's not that he won't be he treated. He has options. It's about getting right. him well enough to go home and then- Exactly. Seek out the proper medical exactly. care that, under his insurance. Exactly. So, and this is where it gets tricky. And to me, this is where communication really helps. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think at this point, most of the time, people would just say, okay, 
you got a catheter in, here's how you hand irrigate your catheter with this catheter syringe. The family can help hand irrigate it. Oh, you're um, kidding me. And, and you can go home and, um, and uh, you know, follow up with a doctor. Um, it turns out that that's honestly what generally happens. And I'll be honest, like that's kind of what happened here, but this is what, this is the story. When I spoke to the family, it turned out he had an appointment like in a week or so with a urologist who accepted Medicaid, Medi-Cal, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, same thing, a week from now and uh, in another part of the area, not that it works at our hospital. Mm-hmm. And so what I told the family is I said, look, honestly, I could take him to the operating room and I could, it would be, it will be very difficult for me to get a scope inside because as I told you with this beginning of this case, he has this very, what we call narrow. stenotic urethra, very narrow urethra. So it's going to take a lot more than just that dilation to get a scope in there. And even if I get a scope in there, when you're dealing with bleeding from cancer, like I was just describing these little tumors in the bladder, it's very hard to stop that bleeding sometimes. Did they know he had cancer at this no, point? No, so I had to tell them. So you told them he I had told cancer. them. Okay. And it's very hard to get that bleeding to stop. It, it can require a lot of like combinations of medication to try to get the prostate cancer to sort of regress a little bit. There's these hormonal treatments we use. And it's just a complicated thing. You know, it, it could require, you know, uh, a week or two to get this bleeding under control. And you wouldn't really be keeping somebody in the hospital all that time because, again, it's a tiny bit of blood. It's not a lot. So he's not like bleeding, requiring And how, how was the rest of his health? Was his overall It was fine. Fine, fine. So what I told the family was, I said, look, let me show you, I demonstrated it for them, how to hand irrigate this catheter because you really want to avoid the clots. So hand irrigate this catheter at home. Also, Medi-Cal does pay for a home health uh, nurse to come by once a day, I think. So they, the home health nurse can check on this guy. And I said, go get to that urologist as quickly as you can so that Medi-Cal accepting urologist can really start to work on how they're going to get this under control. Because it is something you can get under control. A, a cure? No, he's not curable. But get it to kind of regress enough so that they can maybe get this catheter out eventually, get the bleeding to stop eventually. Yes, that's possible. So that's what I had to tell the family to do. And here's the tricky part. I told the family, and this people may disagree with this, but I said to the family, listen, if he gets into a situation where he does develop clots and you can't empty out the bladder, um, you're going to have to bring him back to the emergency room. So the question is, which emergency room does he go back to? Because if he comes back to the emergency room at the hospital that I'm at, and especially if I'm not around, and all the other urologists aren't going to come in and take care of this guy. What's going to happen? You know, they're going to wind up, he's going to wind up in a lot of pain because his bladder is going to be plugged up and they're going to probably be forced to transfer him to like a county facility where they absolutely have to take Medi-Cal mm-hmm. and they have Medi-Cal providers. And they won't call you as like, you're not... They might call me, but what if I'm like out of town or what if I'm like, because I can't be 24-7 and, no. like the, he's and the doctors who I share point. call with don't, are not obligated to see him because yeah. they're not medical accepting doctors. Right. But so that's he, where the know, system gets really tricky. The business of medicine is, you know, it has changed a lot. Yeah. In terms of like what we, you know, I think in the old days, I think doctors weren't as business-minded because 
they were getting paid more, and we just lived in an era where you weren't as concerned about these kinds of issues that would come up. You would just do it. Right. And you were really taught to just, it was, it was the Hippocratic Oath. You just basically were like, I'm going to help people no matter what. And it's, it's a conflict now because I think many doctors now are kind of turned into more business widgets-minded people. Well, even though even the – well, you'll tell me. We have to balance. That's what I was wondering. The insurance uh, outside of Medi-Cal, they're all paying less as well, correct? So you're, that balance is – it's, it's true. harder. It's harder to find, I would imagine. It's harder. It's harder. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, you, do, yeah. you know, you're trying to just do the right thing and – make people comfortable yeah that's all you can do hmm. but it's interesting stuff good all stuff right. interesting thanks thanks doc yeah you got it as always gb this is uh it's a disturbing conversation you know we're talking about people's lives and yep. and and balancing life versus the insurance versus money and um it's uh it's a very difficult conversation, and uh, I can't imagine um, having to make a, a choice like that. And, um, you know, I guess uh, I'm very lucky. I have very good insurance, and, you know, this isn't something that uh, I've had to deal with before. I mean, I think getting into the politics, I'm not going to weigh one side or the other, but I think that is where, you know, whether you're a supporter of the you know, single-payer plan and all of that stuff, which I'm not sure would actually solve a lot or not. It might, but it would certainly be, this is the kind of thing that, that some of those proponents will bring up. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, hey, you know, if we have a single-payer plan, there's no, like, are you on, my, are you on this plan, are you on that plan? It's, you know, it's single-payer. Um, you know, of course, we all live in a society where... Th- we stratify things, whether we want to think that we do or we don't. So what will happen is even if there's a single payer plan, of course, still be even in successful countries that have done this, that's true. That, that is still the case, case. but they would say, um, yes, but everyone is entitled to, and does receive a certain level of care. And this guy, you know, did did have that appointment you said, right? A week later. And that urologist will hopefully continue to Exactly. Monitor and follow up and get their proper care. Do you have any obligation to follow up or is it passed uh, it's passed on to the other it, urologist? How, how, how does that work? It's tricky. I mean, I think that, um, again, this is where, like, it's the moral, it's that line between what's, like, legally my obligation and what's kind of morally my obligation. I feel like morally there is an obligation. Um, legally, I'm not obligated as long as he's stable. And if he left the hospital and was not stable and had like some severe thing that led to greater morbidity, maybe he got septic or something, or he, I don't know, or he bled so much that something terrible happened, they could then say, hey, you let out, you know, you approved this discharge on this, ver- on this patient. You said he was stable, but he really wasn't. And you're responsible. So that that could come back to me. Um, the flip side is, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, if he is stable, if he's truly stable, I'm not obligated to see him in, in follow-up, especially if he's not on my insurance plan. However, if he comes back to the same hospital, 
um, I'm pretty obligated at that yeah. point. Like I was his supervising urologist when he came in the previous admission and they would say, you were his, you know, prior urologist. You need to see this guy. So, so did you follow up? Um, this just happened. So I don't know what, okay. you know, I, I, I will actually, cause I'm just, I kind of got to know the family and I, I think I, I mean, they were very grateful just that I gave them the advice that I gave them because right. I feel like I sort of gave them an insight that not, I mean, even the primary doctor was like, wow, you really kind of laid it all out for them and gave them all the information that they really needed to understand the system and what they were dealing with, which I think yeah. most people have you no idea. You also certainly got him through his, I did. the trauma of yeah. that, that day. The, the, I did. The, the, the other thing, was the cancer limited to the prostate? No. That's where, when, once you see these enlarged lymph nodes, yeah. by definition, it's not. Yeah. It's already spread. Yeah. And, and did you, when you, and you, saw and when that you the, talked to and the family, you told them that as well? I did. I did. But what I also told them is, listen, this kind of situation with prostate cancer, and we can talk about this more in our little prostate cancer series, but this is not like an immediate death sentence here. You know, they potentially can get this to regress, to kind of revert to a more mild form of prostate cancer. I, not mild form, I'm sorry, but a more Treatable, chronic right. situation yeah. where it's not cured, but it's just in this chronic kind of holding pattern or very slow growing pattern where maybe he'll end up dying of something else. Look at the doc ending the show on an up note. <laughs> I like it. Hey, man, I keep it real. No, I think that's medically, I, I don't think GB and I knew that that was the potential prognosis. So that's, that's good to Absolutely. hear. Absolutely. All right. All that's right. Nice. Very good. Well, very good. good. Thank you, doctor. Thank You're you, Jerry. You're Thank welcome. you. Have a good week, guys. Okay, guys. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.